Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. We live in a divided world, fractured by war, separated by sin and selfishness from God and others, all because of a first war in heaven. Revelation 12 and verse 7, it tells us, and war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. And with this first war, the perfect peace of heaven was shattered. How would God restore this peace? For peace cannot exist where sin and righteousness, where rebellion and obedience are both present. One must have the complete dominion. Either rebellion must gain the victory or righteousness must triumph. Either God must be pulled down from his throne and exterminated while sin and Satan take the throne of heaven or the satanic rebellion and all its followers must be banished from heaven to await their final destruction. I praise God that sin and rebellion did not prevail. In 2 Peter 2 verse 4, it tells us, For if God did not spare the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. The devil didn't leave willingly. It wasn't that Satan chose to say, you know what? I'm not liking heaven so much. I'll just set up my kingdom somewhere else. Oh, no. It was God who gained the victory and God who expelled him. If God had not forced Satan and his angels out of heaven, Satan would have sought to force God and his angels out of heaven. It was the mighty hand of God that forced the expulsion of Satan and his angels. Revelation 12 verse 9 tells us, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth... And who were cast with him? And his angels were cast out with him. And once this done, finally a semblance of peace was restored to heaven with the rebellious now expelled. But now the rebellion is spread to our earth. And we see repeated again and again the war of heaven that broke out, uh, that broke the perfect peace and happiness which God had created there. You know, the antonym or opposite of peace is war, conflict, disharmony, arguments, disagreements, dissatisfaction, depression, darkness, disillusionment, discouragement, division, and doubt. As long as sin and Satan exist, these things will exist with them. It is because this rebellion once started in heaven has found a home in human hearts that our peace is gone and the symptoms of a broken world at war within and without appear. We see it everywhere and humanity is crying out loud for peace, world peace, global peace. Peace between countries, peace between political parties, peace in the church, peace in the home, peace in my own soul. If there's one thing that our world needs right now, it is peace. And those who sat with Jesus on the Mount of Blessing needed peace and hungered for peace just as much as human hearts hunger and need it today. We long for peace. And so when Jesus proclaimed, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God, the natural human mind then and now, wearied by internal and external, physical and spiritual and mental wars, cried out like a thirsty beggar, give me that water of peace. If you're offering it, 
than I want it. And I can't help but think that those weary people, to those weary people, Jesus was offering himself as the ultimate peacemaker, the true Son of God. You know, Jesus is the greatest peacemaker. Amen? And how does Jesus make peace? Well, he reconciles us to God. To the thirsty, Jesus reveals himself as the water of life in John chapter 4, verse 14. To the hungry, Jesus reveals himself as the bread of life, John 6, verse 48. To the lost, Jesus reveals himself as the door to eternal life so that you can be found. John chapter 10, verses 7 through 9. To those who are in the darkness of unbelief, doubt, or confusion, Jesus reveals himself as the light of the world. John chapter 8, verse 12. All to show us that if we lack peace in our lives, it is because we lack him. Because where Jesus abides and reigns in the heart, there is peace. He is the great peacemaker. Where sin has separated us from God, Jesus restores and reconciles us back to God. Peacemaker. Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 22. And I invite you to read it with me on the screen. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Peacemaker. But you know the son is not the only one who is a, a great peacemaker or the great peacemaker. The Holy Spirit is also a peacemaker. He reveals to us that we no longer stand guilty before God for the fruit of righteousness and the Holy Spirit is peace. When you experience peace, you are experiencing the, evident, the evidence that you have been made right with God and you have placed your faith in him and received his righteousness and therefore you experience peace. It's your guarantee. And it's something the Holy Spirit gives to each and every person when they are reconciled to God through faith. Peace, it's a precious gift. Many of us long for it. We, we try to manufacture it. In fact, this was the, the big difference between Martin Luther and uh, the founder of the Jesuit order. Both of them were in search of the same thing. What were they looking for? Internal peace. Martin Luther found that peace by falling upon the rock and being broken. By confessing his sins, repenting of his sins, and finding forgiveness in Jesus Christ, he found peace, true peace. But Ignatius Loyola did not see that path as acceptable, for it required the humbling of your own pride, the willingness to admit your sin and walk that path of humility which leads to death of self. And so the Jesuit order came up with an alternate path to find peace, a manufactured peace, a peace that was not real peace. They sought to bury their sins by the repetitious prayers and practices we now know of as spiritual formation. What is spiritual formation? Spiritual formation is the alternate counterfeit path to peace. 
that the Jesuit order founded and now teaches to millions of Christians. What does this order, what does this path say? It says, I can find peace in God not by confessing and repenting of my sins, but by repeating the same words over and over and over and over until I forget my sins and my soul comes to peace. It is the same practice that Buddha followed to find peace. But there is only one path to peace. The Holy Spirit leads us in that path. And that path leads to Jesus. In Galatians chapter 5 verse 22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. It is a fruit of having the Holy Spirit. The true path, following the true path and having the Holy Spirit in your life, that fruit is peace. Isaiah 32 verse 17 says, the work of righteousness will be peace and the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. There's only one path. It's the difficult path. Yes. Narrow is the gate, Jesus said. And what did he say? Difficult the way that leads to eternal life. And broad is the way or broad is the gate and there are many that go in by it. That's right. Our Heavenly Father is the third great peacemaker in heaven. Now we've discovered that Jesus uh, brings us peace. He's a peacemaker because he reconciles us with God. The Holy Spirit is a peacemaker, giving evidence in our heart that we are right with God. How is God the Father a peacemaker? You know, he will forever restore peace and harmony to his heavenly kingdom and this world through a process we call the great controversy. The controversy over his character, his law and his right to rule are forever settled and sin shall not rise up a second time. And this is the work that our father has been our heavenly father has been engaging in since the first fall in heaven. Nahum chapter 1 verse 9 says, What do you conspire against the Lord? He will make an utter end of it. Affliction will not rise up a second time. Now the world seeks for peace in a different way. You've heard the saying, peace through strength. Have you heard that saying before? This saying goes all the way back to the Roman emperor Hadrian, who believed that peace could only be maintained through strength and war. And today, millions have bought into the lie that if you want peace in your life, you've got to fight for it. And so we have wars between countries to find peace amidst disputes. We have war between citizens to settle long-standing controversies. We have wars in families and even among friends to try to bring harmony again. But here's a secret. You cannot find peace. You cannot find true peace through war. You cannot fight for peace. You cannot demand peace. You cannot manufacture peace. Peace is not something that you can grab a hold with your hands and say, I've obtained it through hard work and effort and through conquest and through uh, my own perseverance and will. I finally attained peace. And yet millions and millions and millions of people are chasing the diamond at the top of the hill. They're saying, man, if only I had enough money, then I'd have peace. Man, if I only had a different spouse, then I'd have peace. Man, if only my children grew up and got left the house, then I'd have peace. But you know, that sort of peace is fleeting. It says that my peace is everyone else's fault. But that's a lie. The reason you lack peace is not because of the people in your life or the circumstances in your life or the problems in your life. The reason you lack, lack peace is because Jesus has not taken root in your life. 
Because where Jesus is, there is peace. Regardless of what's going on around. John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He said again in John 16, verse 33, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Desire of Ages, page 302, she says that men cannot, say that with me, cannot manufacture peace. It's an impossibility. It doesn't matter how high your income rises. It doesn't matter how low you can get your stress load or workload. It doesn't matter who you're with. Peace is not something that you can attain with flesh and flesh and bones. Human plans, she says, for the purification and uplifting of individuals or of society will fail of producing peace because they do not reach the heart. What's the problem with why we don't have peace? She says it's not a person problem, a job problem, or a problem of the circumstances in your life. It is a heart problem. And then she says, the only power that can create or perpetuate true peace is what? The grace of Christ. When this is implanted in the heart, it will cast out the evil passions that cause strife and dissension. So if there is dissension in your marriage, what is the key to bring peace? Jesus. If there is dissension in the church, what is the key to bringing peace? Christ. What is the remedy to heal the racial divisions that separate us and once again live at peace and harmony? It's not carrying a sign, marching down, down some street and chanting. The cure is Christ. The cure is Christ. The remedy for our divisions is Christ. Him abiding in the heart. This is the only way that true peace can be attained is through Christ. What is the answer to the political divide in our country? It's Jesus. How can we fix the national disputes that cause so many wars? Let me tell you. If Christians share their faith as they should share their faith, if they lifted up the gospel and Jesus Christ, that alone would solve the majority of the problems that are faced in our world. Because Christ is the answer. Christ is the one who brings the peace. When the grace of Christ is received in the soul, it works a transformation inside out and restores peace in all our relationships. If we lack peace, the problem isn't her. It isn't him. The problem is me. It is when my soul is separated from my Savior that I lack peace. It is when my life is not in harmony with the triune peacemaker, the Godhead, that I find division, depression, darkness, doubt, despair, and all that is against peace. This is why I struggle. How good Satan is in getting us to point our finger at everything else other than the real problem. Because he knows as long as I say it's him or it's her or it's them or it's they, then I won't point the finger at me and find Christ. 
I'm going to be saying, as long as I can kick them out of the church, as long as I can get him out of my home, as long as I can get this new job, I'll be constantly jumping from fish pond to fish pond, from lily pad to lily pad, searching for peace, but always sinking. Stop blaming other people. And situations for the emptiness you feel, the guilt you experience, the trouble you face, they can't fix what you are missing. The peace you need has only one source. To blame others for your unhappiness will only perpetuate your unhappiness and keep you from looking to the Savior. Your soul will be kept in the bitter cesspool of unforgiveness hatred, and strife. And the end of this road of blame is death to your soul. Your spiritual life and your future immortality, immortal life depend on you making a decision today that your peace is dependent upon the actions, is not dependent upon the actions of others or the chance happenings of the things going, right, going on right now in your life. Your peace is solely dependent upon your connection with Christ. Consider these quotes from the spirit of prophecy regarding our peace in the midst of difficult earthly relationships. We're in Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, page 27. He who is at peace with God and his fellow men cannot, cannot be what? He cannot be made miserable. Envy will not be in his heart. Evil surmisings will find no room there. Hatred cannot exist. The heart that is in harmony with God is a partaker of the peace of heaven and will diffuse its blessed influence on all around. The spirit of peace will rest like dew upon hearts weary and troubled with worldly strife. Okay? Here's another one, Gospel Workers, page 476. How true, we are prone to look to our fellow men for sympathy and uplifting instead of looking to Jesus. How true. Every time you get in, the, get in a fight with somebody, every time somebody hurts your heart, every time you get into some sort of controversy, remember this statement here and realize it's talking about me. We, that's me, are prone to look to our fellow men for sympathy and uplifting instead of who? And who is it that keeps us looking with bitter eyes and unforgiving hearts to everybody else? It is Satan. Because he knows if he can keep you on this trip of blame, he can keep you away from the one who can truly give you peace. Well, you just don't understand, Pastor. He or she has made my life miserable. Oh, no, 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 no. She or he contributed to it. But were you in Christ, you would be at peace. Because Christ brings peace. How do you think the apostles had peace in prison? They didn't have comfy cushions to sit on. They didn't have a gourmet meal to eat. All their troubles weren't, weren't removed. They were in, at peace in the midst of perplexity. And friends, if the apostles could be at peace in prison, you can be at peace as well in the midst of confrontational situations. In his mercy and faithfulness, God often permits those Listen, God often permits those in whom we place confidence to what? Fail us. Why? In order that we may learn the folly of trusting in man and making flesh our arm. Let us trust fully, humbly, unselfishly in God. He knows the sorrows that we feel to the depths of our being, but which we cannot express when all things seem dark and unexplainable, remember, remember the words of Christ. What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. 
Here's another one, Gospel Workers, page 476. I want you to read this one with me, okay? Let's read it together. Under a storm of stinging, fault-finding words, keep the mind stayed upon the Word of God. Let mind and heart be stored with God's promises. If you are ill-treated or wrongfully accused, instead of returning an angry answer, repeat to yourself the precious promises. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Do you see that the problem isn't out there? The problem is in here. If we want true peace, we've got to stop blaming others and blaming our circumstances Start looking inside and saying, Jesus, fill my life so that no matter what I go through, no matter what I hear or what I confront, I might live at peace with you. I might be at perfect peace with you. Here's another one. Help in daily living, page 25 through 26. We cannot afford, which means the price is too costly. That's what you cannot afford means, right? You know, there's many things I can't afford. But there's one thing she says, all of us cannot afford. It's too costly. We cannot afford to let our spirits chafe over any real or, what does she say? Supposed wrong done to ourselves. We can't afford to let ourselves. How many of you, maybe you can just like invisibly raise your hand. How many of you, uh, when somebody says something, that has wronged you, you just mull through it over and over and over and over. Like a hamster going on one of those wheels, you're just spinning and spinning but going nowhere. Recognize that you're on that wheel and get off the wheel. Recognize that you're running on that wheel and it's not going to do you any good to keep your mind running on all the things that have gone wrong in your life, that others have done wrong in your life, all the ways people have hurt you. You know what that's like? Ellen White had a dream and she had one lady who was on this wheel. And she said, you know, to Ellen White, I've, I've been wronged in this way and that way. I've had all these people who've done all these wrongs against me. And after she read this woman's letter, she went to sleep and God gave Ellen White a dream. And in the dream, she was being led by this angel through a garden, beautiful garden. I mean, flowers everywhere of all sorts of different colors and all sorts of different sizes, just a beautiful garden. And suddenly she came to a part of the garden that was filled with thorns. And who should be standing there in the thorns but this lady? And the angel turned to Ellen White and said, leave the thorns alone. Focus on the pinks and the lilies. Focus on the flowers and the beauties of the garden. The thorns will only hurt you. And Satan will lead us to make our bed in a bed of thorns. To sit there and roll over and over and over in our minds on a bed of thorns. How many of you would willingly sit there and lay your bed with blackberry bush vines? Anybody? But that's what we're doing in our mind when we choose to harbor bitterness and we just go over and over and over the things that have wronged us. It is true that the things that have been done to you are unjust, are not right, are wrong. But there is one who has promised to make all that is wrong right. Leave it with him. Let your dear Savior make it right in his time. And friends, when he makes it right, he makes it right for good. Leave it with him. Trust in Him. Say, Lord, I'm not going to sit there and think on this thing over and over. I'm getting off the hamster wheel. And I'm going to get on a new path. And that's the path leading to eternal life. I'm going to focus on the promises of God and let those fill my mind and my heart. Because that is the path to peace. So how do I obtain this peace for which my soul longs? How do I remain in the peace of Christ even when I am 
uh, in the turmoil of a broken relationship. To understand the process of peace, I'd like to suggest studying something in the Old Testament called the peace offering. You remember in the Bible, there are different offerings that the children of Israel would offer to God. There was the sin offering, the burnt offering, the thank offering, and then there was something called the peace offering. And by the way, these these offerings weren't just subjective, random offerings that were just thrown into Scripture to take up space. Every offering pointed to a ministry which Jesus brings to our soul. And the peace offering lays out the path how you and I can receive the peace of Christ in our life. So, uh, what about this peace offering? In a little book by one of our Adventist pioneers, S.N. Haskell, he wrote a book entitled The Cross and Its Shadow. He says, The peace offering and the Levitical service beautifully taught in type and shadow how to obtain this coveted treasure. So let's take a look at it together. We find the peace offering in Leviticus chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. And there it says, now it may seem strange to you as we read through the peace offering, but hold on, I'll break it down with you. In chapter 3 it says, He shall offer the sacrifice of the what? Of the peace offering. An offering made by fire unto the Lord. Now here comes the weird part. The fat that covereth the inwards, and all, that is, all the fat that is upon the inwards, and the two kidneys, and the fat that is on them, which is by the flanks, and the call above the liver, and, and with the kidneys, it shall he take away. And Aaron's sons shall burn it on the altar upon the burnt sacrifice, which is upon the wood that is on the, the fire, it is an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. So the first thing that we discover about the peace offering is that there needed to be a separation. Part of that offering needed to be separated from the rest of the offering. And that part that was separated was the fat. It needed to be a fat-free offering. And keep that in your mind. You know, the um, food industry has done a good job at getting us to think about things that are fat-free, right? In the Bible, the fat was bad. It was uh, the children of Israel were not to eat fat or blood. Why? Because all the diseases and poisons of the animal is found in the fat and the blood. So, uh, if an am animal were to eat something that were poisonous, where would that poison go in the body? Where would it be stored? Well, the first place it goes is the stomach where it's broken down into its uh, nutrients and then from there, the next place it goes is the blood to feed the body for energy. Now, as that poison is filtering through the blood, it eventually filters through the kidneys and the liver. And where does that poison get stored? The kidneys, the liver, the fat. And so these were the things that were to be taken out of the animal as a symbol of sin. The rest of it was to be eaten by the worshiper. Um, the peace offering was the only sacrifice besides the Passover that was actually eaten by the one who offered it, symbolizing that we experience the peace that we pray for. The fat, like leaven, represents sin in our lives that must be given up to Jesus, our sacrifice, that he can destroy it. In Psalms 37, verse 20, it says, But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs, 
they shall consume into smoke shall they consume away. Fat was a symbol of wickedness or sin. And in order for, uh, in order for the person to live, the sin must be separated from them and destroyed. And this was the first work in the peace offering. The cross and its shadows by Haskell, page 154. It says the separation and burning of the fat typified the only way real peace can be obtained by delivering all our sins to the rightful owner. The Prince of Peace, the blessed Savior, who gave himself for our sins, he purchased them that he might destroy sin and give us peace. This lesson of separating sin from the sinner teaches the vital truth that until we are purified of our sins or separate from our sins, we cannot experience God's peace. Can't do it. Remember the Jesuit order said, oh no, you can experience peace in your sins. As long as you do these different things spiritual steps or spiritual formations. But the gospel that Martin Luther understood said, doesn't matter how many steps I climb on my knees, doesn't matter how many times I flog myself, doesn't matter how many mantras I say over and over, I will never experience peace until sin is separated from me. And there's only one way that sin can be separated from you, friend. Only one path. You must confess it. You've got to name it as a sin in your life out loud. If there are individuals that you've sinned against, you must confess to them. For they have been influenced by your sin. You must confess and you must repent. You must turn away from it. If you don't turn away from it, you are still joined to it. And if you're still joined to it, you'll share the same fate that it shares. As the fat is burned, so you will be burned. As the fat is destroyed, so you will be destroyed. If you want to live and have peace, there must be a separation. And that separation is confession, repentance, and faith. You must place your faith that Jesus will truly take care of your sin. That he who bears the fat of the lamb by his own priestly hands to the burnt offering that he himself will make sure that it is all consumed, never to return again. Confession, repentance, and faith. And this is how sin is separated from the saint. Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, it says, Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. John chapter 8, verse 36, that wonderful promise, If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. It is Jesus who separates us, separates the sin from us. This is also why the blessing of peace is given right after the blessing of purity. Because purity precedes peace. My heart must become pure before the Lord before my heart can be at peace in the Lord. Psalms 119, verse 165, it says, Great, great what? Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, page 27. Whoever consents to renounce sin and open his heart to the love of Christ becomes a partaker of this heavenly peace. But there was something else other than fat that was separated from the, um, from the lamb or from the animal. It was also the right breast and the right shoulder or thigh. In Leviticus chapter 7, verse 34, it says, 
For the wave breast and the heave shoulder have I taken of the children of Israel from off the sacrifices of their peace offerings and have given them unto Aaron the priest and unto his sons by a statute forever from among the children of Israel. Now we look at this and we say, well, this is kind of strange. Why do you take the right chest of the animal? And why do you take the right shoulder or the right thigh from the animal and give it to the priest? Maybe it's because the priest is hungry and he needs to eat. No, no, there's more to it than that. There's a spiritual lesson. In the cross in its shadow, page 155, it says, the disposition of the fat, the breast, and the right shoulder reveal the secret of obtaining peace. The one who obtains peace must separate from sin. That's taking the fat away. And then, and then what? Lean like the beloved disciple upon the bosom of the Savior. The right breast or bosom represents closeness, intimacy, the deepest relationship known. Husbands and wives in the Old Testament are referred to in the Bible as the wife of his bosom or the husband of her bosom. As the one person in all the earth that is the closest to me, it, this captures the image of a man drawing his wife to his bosom and holding her there close to him. Or a woman drawing her husband to her bosom and holding him close to her there. In Deuteronomy 28 verse 54, it says, The sensitive and very refined man among you shall be hostile toward his brother, <coughs> towards his brother, <coughs> toward the wife of his bosom, and toward the remnant of his children which he shall leave. Verse 56, the tender and delicate woman among you who would not venture to set her, full, her sole of her foot on the ground because of her delicateness and sensitivity will refuse to the husband of her bosom. Both of these verses indicating a separation between a husband and wife at a very distressing time. As a very unnatural thing. Why would the wife separate from the husband of her bosom? Why would the husband separate from the wife of her bosom? And remember, Eve was made from Adam's rib. Which side? Well, it wasn't the wrong side, so it must have been the right side. I don't know if that's the case, if that's why it was the right breast. Maybe, but we do know that Eve was made from Adam's side. Not to be ruled as his head, not to be trampled under feet as his, under his heel, but to be a co-worker with him, a helpmeet to him at his side. And the two, the Lord said, shall become one flesh. And this is what it means, the bosom, the bosom. In the same way, the Bible pictures God drawing us close to himself and holding us in his bosom. The imagery of the closest relationship possible. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 11 says this. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them where? In his bosom. And shall gently lead those that are with young. Could you imagine? The Lord pulling you close, closer, and closer, and closer, and closer to himself. You don't need to imagine it, friends, because this is what God wants in your life. He wants you to be his son. He wants you to be his daughter. And to have the closest relationship possible that he could have with any other person. This is why the right breast and shoulder were given in the peace offering to illustrate that this offering of peace was meant to draw the person into a closer relationship with our Heavenly Father, to bring them to the very bosom and shoulder of their God. And this picture is, is then represented as the relationship that Jesus and his Father have. 
This is how close God wants to draw you, friends. Listen, in John chapter 1, verse 18, it says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. So we know that the Father and the Son share this immensely close relationship. Immensely close relationship. And then Jesus, in John 17, reveals that that relationship is something that He wants to share with you. In John 17, 20, He says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on Me, through their word, that they all may be what? One, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Have you ever wondered what the experience of peace really is, and why I may feel guilt at times? Guilt is the feeling that sweeps over the soul when our sin separates us from God. It is actually feeling that separation. It is the lonely, hopeless, and doomed feeling that I am not where I should be in my relation to my Creator. Peace, on the other hand, is the wonderful feeling when my heart no longer has any walls, divisions, or separations from God. When I have finally returned to harmony with heaven, the vibration of that harmony is the experience of peace. I literally feel that gap closing between me and God and a reunion happening. That is peace. It is the assurance that I am right with God, and it is the place we are striving to be. We were created for the close, intimate relationship with God, a relationship built on trust and love. Now, what about the right thigh or shoulder? Now, this was supposed to be separated also from the peace offering. In Leviticus 7, verses 34, it says, For the wave breast and the heave shoulder have I taken of the children of Israel from off the sacrifices. You know, sometimes the translations say shoulder, and sometimes the translations say thigh. And I kind of battled with this for a while. You know, part of me says, well, S.N. Haskell said shoulder, so it must be shoulder. But New King James Version says thigh, maybe it's thigh. Which one is it? Is it the shoulder? Is it the thigh? Does it make a difference? So I looked up the Hebrew word. The Hebrew word here is shok, which is defined in the lexicon dictionary as specifically as the thigh or hind leg of a sacrificial animal. And here's what it says straight from the dictionary. Shok, the lower leg as a runner, meaning the calf, the hip, the leg, the shoulder and the thigh. And then I thought, oh, I'm back to square one. It says all of them. <laughs> and that's how Bible study sometimes goes. You know, you think you're getting somewhere and you're like, okay, okay, okay. Oh, no, it just blew it to pieces. Now, it seems to me that it is more likely that this word refers to the thigh than the shoulder. But either way, the principle we glean from it is the same. The hip or the shoulder of an animal is the weight-bearing portion. Right? Which part of the dog bears its weight? The hip or the shoulder? Both. Yeah. So it really doesn't matter uh, whether it's the hip or the shoulder. That is the weight-bearing portion of the animal. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Notice what it says. For unto us... A child is born unto us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Meaning, he will bear the weight. He will bear the responsibility. He will bear all the crushing load. He will bear it. 1 Peter 5 verse 7 says, casting all your care upon him. For he careth for you. If you want peace... It is Christ that must bear the burdens of your life. It is He who must carry your sin, your sorrow, your shame, your guilt, your pressure, your stress, your worry. Jesus must bear them all. They need to be on Him for as long as you carry your stresses, you cannot have peace. Matthew chapter 11 verse 28 says, 
Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Philippians 4, verse 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. What is the prerequisite to peace? Giving our burdens to the peacemaker. If I give my burdens to the Lord, He promises to give me in return peace. If I carry my burdens instead of giving them to the Lord, then I am forfeiting my right to peace. Will the Lord let me carry my burdens? Absolutely. If you want to carry your burdens, He's not going to force them off your shoulder. But that is all the reward you will ever get, is the reward of carrying them yourself. But if you want His peace, and if you want to be His child, you say, Lord, I come to you just as, my, just as I am, and I give you the burdens that are pressing upon my soul. And I ask that I might receive the gift that you have offered to me. If we want peace, we must come to Christ and allow him to be not only our sin-pardoning sacrifice, but also our Savior who bears our troubles. In Isaiah 53, verse 4, it says, Surely... He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Again, in The Cross and its Shadows, page 156, S.N. Haskell says, The reason we so often fail to receive abiding peace when we come to God is because we go no farther than if the individual in the type had given the priest no other portion than just the fat. We confess our sins to Christ. He takes them, but we give our confidence to, the, to worldly friends. We do not lean upon the bosom of our Lord and make Him our confident in everything and trust Him to clear the way before us as the shepherd cares for His lambs. We do not let the government of our affairs rest upon His strong and mighty shoulder. We fear to trust Him to manage our temporal affairs for us and consequently... Even after we have confessed our sins and been forgiven, we are soon entangled again with the perplexities and troubles of our everyday duties. Why? Because we only gave the fat and we didn't give the right shoulder. We must, when we give to the Lord, we give all. And when Jesus gives to us, he holds nothing back. Did you know that the peace offering could be offered at any time? Unlike the Passover, it was not offered only on a specific day. It could be offered on any day because the peace of God is not only available on Sabbath and holidays or vacations. Hawaii is not the only place you can get peace because the peace of God is not only available on Sabbath and holidays, Wherever you are, with whatever you're going through in your life, you can find peace in the Lord now, today. You don't need to wait for circumstances to change or for a specific date to hit the calendar for, for you to have peace with God. Today, you can find that peace because that peace is available from the Lord today. Now, we've talked a, a lot about finding peace, but notice Jesus' blessing isn't just about finding peace but it's also about making peace or becoming a peacemaker. Those who have found peace with God are bidden by God to lead others to finding peace with God as well. He says, blessed, not just blessed are those who receive peace, but blessed are the peacemakers. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20 and 21. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 
And Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, page 28. Whoever by word or deed shall lead another to renounce sin and yield his heart to God is a peacemaker. And so we're back at our mission statement. God has called us to seek and save the lost. To receive peace and then to become a peacemaker. To lead others to the peace that we ourselves have found in Christ. Today God calls you to experience his peace and to experience his mission in becoming a peacemaker. What is the reward of those who embrace this blessing? Jesus says, for they shall be called sons of God. Do you want it? Do you yearn for it? Do you want to pray this morning for this blessing in your life? Are you willing to comply with the conditions of peace? To find peace in Christ by giving him all today. Give him your sin. Give him your brokenness. Give him your relationships. Give him your sorrow and your struggle. Give him the things that you are carrying. Give him your worry. And find in Christ the peace that passes understanding and the assurance that the Holy Spirit brings that we are indeed children of God. Let's pray for it just now. Gracious Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for granting us the blessing of peace. We pray, Lord, that our hearts might experience this great and wonderful blessing today, not tomorrow, not on our next vacation, but right now, Lord, with whatever we're going through, that we might experience the peace that Jesus himself brings. Bless your people. Give us this assurance, Lord, that we are truly your children, that we might have your peace in our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for hearing and answering our prayer, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and sing with us our closing hymn, Softly and Tenderly, number 287, Softly and Tenderly. Wait 
greater blessing could we receive from you than the blessing of your grace, accepting us as sinners who have chosen to come home. Lord, we thank you for the promise uh, that you will wash our sins away. We thank you for the promise that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We thank you for the promise of peace that you've given to us. Now bless your people, Lord, as they go from here. I pray that you would uh, continue to be the leader and savior of each one of their lives and protect them from the enemy who constantly seeks to war against them. May they find peace today, tomorrow, and each day as they give their lives over to you into your hands. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.